Today, guys, what we're talking about is uh, we're really just kind of following right along with Paul as he walks through Colossians, as he's writing this letter. If you haven't been here the last couple weeks, quick recap, okay? Um, he is writing this letter that we call Colossians to this city called Colossae. Colossae used to be a great big city. At this time, it was a much smaller city, and it ended up being destroyed by an earthquake not too long after this. Um, but there was a new church in Colossae, and so the apostle Paul, who was really the missionary to the very first century Christians, like the greatest missionary probably the world has ever seen, who started all these churches around like Ephesus and, and Colossae and Laodicea and Philippi and all these places. Um, he hadn't actually been to Colossae, Another guy named Epaphras had gone to Colossae, started this church. But Paul has been hearing that there is a guy or some group of people maybe teaching some high-sounding nonsense uh, to them about maybe adding in, mixing in some things to Jesus and to the Christian gospel message that don't need to be there. And so he's writing this letter of Colossae, just kind of going, look, guys, can we get back to the center? Can we get back to Christ? Can we get back to the true and simple gospel of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and so that we don't start mixing other things in there? I'm going to give you guys a word uh, for today. And if you actually go listen to the After Church podcast, After Church today, um, you're going to hear this word from uh, Cameron Moore. He's out on the South Campus, but he brings this word up too. The word is syncretism. Everybody say syncretism. Syncretism. Anybody ever heard that word? A couple of y'all maybe. Um, syncretism just simply means what I just said. It means to kind of sync up other beliefs and ideals and philosophies with the Christian gospel, okay? It's to take the gospel of Jesus and then go, okay, that's great, but I feel like I need a little more and I need to mix some things into it. So that word sync, like, you know, putting something beside something else and kind of adding it to it. It's basically to say, Jesus and the gospel are not enough for me. And I need more. I need something else. And so this is why Paul is writing this letter. Now, a little segue here that Paul gives. I'm not going to read all of this, but at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, there's probably two paragraphs in your Bible um, from verse 24 of chapter 1 until verse 5 of chapter 2. Um, it's really just a segue of Paul going like this. He's just kind of writing, and you can kind of picture Paul as he's sitting in prison. The Apostle Paul is in prison at this time as he's writing this letter, 60s AD. Okay, he's been arrested. If you read the book of Acts, you see this documented. Okay, he's in Jerusalem. He gets taken all the way to Rome. Eventually, now he's in Rome and he's in prison, he's in jail. And he writes some of his, some of his letters of the New Testament, he writes, it while, writes those letters while he's in jail. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, like these letters he writes while he's sitting in prison. So you can imagine him sitting in prison, writing this letter to the Colossians because he's heard these things, he's just trying to help them. Man, don't, don't, don't stray away from Christ, don't get away from the gospel, right? And so these two paragraphs here, before we get to 2 verse 6, is just Paul going, man, I am working hard for y'all. Like, I'm laboring for you guys. I'm praying. And I think mainly what he's talking about with his labor is I'm praying for y'all. I'm working hard for you guys. I'm praying every day. I'm on my knees in this prison cell still, and I'm writing these letters to you so that you don't lose the faith that you had at first the faith that you have in Jesus, and so that you don't start getting confused and, and missing the point of the gospel, right? And so he's just laboring away for the Colossians. And then he's going to get to verse 6 here today where we're going to start off, chapter 2, verse 6. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read verses 6 and 7 again. And he says this, he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue in him, 
Continue in him. That's, our, that's the whole point of today. If you miss everything else I say, if you check out now, you got it, okay? Continue in Christ. Keep going in your faith in Jesus. He says, continue, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Um, let's pray. God, thank you so much for today and thank you that uh, you give us your word from, from men like Paul, who, this great missionary who started these churches, and now we get to read his letters 2,000 years later that were just helping the churches to stay faithful to your son, Jesus. And so uh, instruct us today, teach us today, um, use me however you can, and um, God, just allow my words to fall to the ground and your words to be lifted up, whatever is true and right. God, let us hear it and, and let us live according to it. Let us continue in Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. And so Paul says, continue in Christ. So the first point today is that, it is continue in Christ. Again, like I said, that's, if you miss everything else today, that's the point, that's the message today, continue in Jesus, continue, just keep going, right? Walk forward, move forward, right? Um, Paul says in Philippians chapter three, he's like, man, I, have, I haven't already attained all this stuff, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Right? He's just talking about in our faith, we continue in Jesus. And we never stop going in Jesus. Look, your life is not going to be perfect. It's not going to be sinless. You're not going to never mess up. But you continue in Christ. And I mentioned Philippians chapter 3 because I think a good way of thinking about this, if you like rhymes, this is a rhyme to help you think about the Christian life and what it means. It's not about perfection, it's about direction. Am I continuing in Christ or am I going somewhere else, some other direction, right? That's the point. You're not going to be perfect this side of heaven. You're not going to never mess up. You're not going to never stumble. You're not going to never fall. But even while stumbling, you stumble in Christ and continue in him. And this is Paul's point as he writes this letter. So the rest of this message is just simply why. Why do we continue in Christ? What has he earned? What is, what is so valuable about him? What's so great about him? What has he done? And we've hopefully answered some of that in the first two messages. You can go back and watch those. Um, as, as we walk through chapter one, where he's just like, man, stay focused on the gospel. And then last week was he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's supreme over the old creation. He's supreme over the church. He's the head. He's the beginning. He's the first. We just looked at Jesus last week, and Paul's going, man, he is God, and he's everything. He's all in all for us. And now he says, so just continue in him, okay? So why? Why do we continue in him? I'm going to give you all, uh, I believe I got five more points, okay? Five reasons to continue in Christ, all right? First point is this, because Christ is our fullness, because he is our fullness, okay? Um, Here's what verses eight through ten say. So he says, continue in Christ. Then he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness, everybody say fullness, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given, everybody say it, fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power, and authority. So Christ is our fullness. He says he is the fullness of deity in bodily form. That was really last week just talking about Christ really put on flesh. He really became man. 
He is still fully God and fully man to this day and will be for all time. And when we get our new bodies, we will have a body like his body, right? So the fullness of God in flesh. And he says, you have been given fullness in him. So Christ is the fullness of God, and we have been given fullness in him. So he uses this term. He says, let me read that again uh, in, in, in verse 8. See that, see that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. You guys know what philosophy is, right? You might take like philosophy classes in college. You might take some of that. Cool. Yeah, I did too. Um, philosophy is really just a way of thinking, right? That's, that's the general term of philosophy, just a way of thinking, a worldview even, right? A way of thinking about the world. Um, the word comes from the word wisdom. Sophia, if, you, if your name is Sophia, it means wisdom. Um, philosophy, right? So it's just a, a really a way of thinking about the world, a way of thinking about life. What Paul is talking about here, he calls this empty philosophy, right? The deceptive philosophy. See, here's the thing about Colossae. Colossae was a, was a mixing bowl, okay? A lot like America today, just a, a big mixing bowl, a big melting pot of all different types of people. This was the Roman Empire anyway. Um, a lot of different folks lived in, in and amongst the Roman Empire, Colossae was in the Roman Empire, and so people just, you know, from all kind of walks of life and manners of life lived around and in Colossae, and even religiously, right? We mentioned this the first week, but Colossae was, was a mixing bowl religiously because obviously in the Roman Empire, you had the Roman pantheon, right? You guys studied some of these things in school and the, the Greek gods and the Roman gods and all sorts of mythology, but not only that, um, but certainly they had some influences of Eastern uh, religions, okay? This is uh, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey is where Colossae was, so a lot of those influences as well, more like mysticism and uh, superstition and spirituality like that, but also there was a Jewish settlement that lived very close to Colossae who certainly influenced the way that they thought about religion as well. So you got all these different influences, right, in Colossae, just sort of different ways of thinking about life. And Paul's just going, look, there are philosophies you guys are hearing all the time, worldviews, ways of thinking about who God is, what life is, what this creation is, who you are, who these people are around you, and how you relate to all these things. And he's just saying, look, don't be led astray. Don't let these things have sway over your mind, things that are not actual truth. They're just worldly philosophy. So, I brought a little illustration today that I want to um, just kind of help us to kind of understand what I really think Paul's getting at here, and it's this. See, all of us, every one of us in this room and everybody in this world, I think, we want fullness, right? You want to be full, do you not? You want to be complete. That's the word that he uses here twice, that we want to be full. We want to be complete. We want to believe that we're not empty, that we're not lacking anything, that we're not missing anything in this life. And I believe this is exactly what the people in Colossae were kind of dealing with, that he's just saying, look, you, you, you have this fullness in Christ. Christ is the fullness of God, and you have fullness in him. And so he's kind of arguing against whatever it is that they were trying to fill their lives up with. And I think this is what we do, even as Christians, is that we kind of believe this is who we are, right? Christ, if we, we just take this as Christ. I know this isn't full, by the way. Y'all leave me alone, okay? Um, not every illustration is perfect. I don't want to make a mess up here. So um, this is Christ, okay? This is our illustration. This is Jesus. And we've been filled in him, at least to some degree, right? And I think a lot of us kind of live this way. I've been filled some, like I know Jesus and I've been baptized into Christ and I want to live my life. Like, yeah, I like Jesus. I love Jesus. I go to church and I worship him. But there's a lot of room in here, isn't there? There's a lot of room for a lot of things. 
that I still need more, I still need to add, I still need to fill. And I could have brought all sorts of other things up here today and I could have just thrown stuff in there, whatever, but you get the point, right? Like we have some idea in us a lot of times as we get this sort of worldly mindset, this philosophy that, yeah, Christ has filled, like he's in there, but there's still so much more that I need. You ever just feel like, as a Christian, you ever just feel like you're missing out on some stuff? Maybe. I mean, I think we probably all have felt that temptation from time to time. Like, I'm just, I, you know, I love Jesus, but I'm just missing some things that my friends or that my family or that my coworkers, they talk about and they live in and they're doing, or I used to do certain things, right? Or I used to live a certain way and I used to enjoy some things. And now I feel like maybe I can. I feel like maybe it's, you know, so I just want to, yeah, I have Jesus, but I want to add to it. We live in a culture that is consumed with this idea of fullness, of trying to be more full, right, than what we currently are, whether it's romance or drugs or entertainment or sports or hobbies or money or even family or, listen, even, even church or religious experience in and of itself, divorced from Christ maybe sometimes. I think we can make church an idol. Is that weird to say? I think it could be. If it's not Jesus, but it's just something that we're trying to fill up in here, some way to feel better about ourselves, some way to look in the mirror and believe, okay, I'm now complete. Yeah, I got some Jesus, but, but I just need more. And he mentions here just specifically worldly philosophies. Again, just ways that we're thinking about life, paradigms that we have, worldviews that we have. So I did want to mention a few of those. Um, and the culture that we live in today, I think this is still prevalent, right? Um, here's an example. Follow your heart. What a worldly way to think about things. What a, what a beautiful lie this is. Follow your heart. Cinderella will sing a song about it. And um, our kids learn this from very young age. This is a worldly philosophy. You know why? Because above all else, the heart is deceitful above all things. That's scripture. Because every human being, apart from the transforming work of Christ in your heart, guys, we are hateful, angry, liars, selfish. Like, this is who we are in our hearts. And our world says, no, follow it. Do what feels right, what feels good to you. You do you. This is a common philosophy of our day. You should do you. Do what feels right. Do what makes you happy. Self-esteem, look, I, I don't think we should feel bad about ourselves necessarily, but the self-esteem that is just preached in the world today, I want to look good and feel good about me. And the Bible's all about Christ-esteem, God-esteem, and the whole world preaches, just look at you, look in the mirror, and fix that because you're still not full. So if you look a certain way or feel a certain way or dress a certain way or have a certain skill or whatever, that'll get more full. It's just running on a treadmill. It's nonsense. You're never going to feel full if your eyes are on you because you're always going to be lacking something. You guys know this, right? I think the older we get, the better we understand that. I think when we're younger, it's harder to get that. Like maybe I'll, I'll get to this point in my life where it's just everything's coming together and everything's perfect. Maybe it's health and wealth teaching even in the church. Empty philosophy. 
That if you follow Jesus, if you have faith, you'll be more healthy, you'll be more wealthy, you'll get the desires of your heart that are earthly desires and things like that. Guys, it's, it's empty. Maybe it's gender ideologies or sexual ideologies or racial ideologies or political ideologies or psychological ideologies. Maybe you define yourself by some weird combination of letters or numbers Listen, and just to make a note, I'm not going to spend time on this, but uh, the Enneagram is very popular nowadays. It's a very popular thing, even in the church. And most people don't realize the two guys who created the modern Enneagram were occultists who loved to communicate with the dead. This is their life. And then to create this Enneagram type thing that we want to define ourselves by. And people, even in the church, people who are following Christ define their lives by a number I've had maddening conversations with people who define their lives because they're a nine, a seven, a three, or whatever, and they are missing that Christ is our fullness. And yeah, we have personalities, and yeah, we have, like, all of that's true, but man, when we give our lives hook, line, and sinker to certain ideologies like this, we get so far off of who Jesus is in us. I actually looked up some, some statistics on a, a few other things, just ways that, p- things that people are pursuing in our culture today. This is true. Um, these are supernatural experiences because we live in a culture that is fascinated with these things. Supernatural. You probably watch TV shows about this stuff. We live in a vampire town, okay? Like, guys, this is, people are fascinated with this stuff, right? And I watch it too. I've watched it too. But listen, the, the percent of Christians, this is Christians, the percent of Christians who have been, um, who have been in touch with the dead, 29%. That is crazy. The percent of Christians that have had ghostly experiences, 17%. Who have consulted a psychic, 14%. Who believe in spiritual energy in trees, 23%. Astrology, 23%. Reincarnation, 22%. The evil eye, which is a casting, like this is, this is casting curses on people. The percent of Christians that cast curses on people, it's a, it's a practice called the evil eye, 17%. 17% of Christians cast curses on people. This is crazy. Now listen, it, and, I, and I know I mentioned some of this, and to some of you, you're hearing this, and you're like, this is so weird. Like, why are you talking about this? I don't do any of this. But I'm telling you, this is our world right now. And these are things that people are hunting down and seeking after. And like I said, it's very prevalent in our culture. At least curiosity is being piqued in a lot of people about what is, what is around us or what is this world about or what is a spiritual experience or whatever. And if that's you, I just want to say this. Listen, it's true that God is real and the devil is real. Spirits are real. The problem is, you go looking for something, you may find it that you don't want to find. It's just true. And Satan, I will tell you this, he does not care what you believe as long as it's not Jesus. He doesn't care what you're following. He doesn't care what you love. He doesn't, you don't think Satan will give you things that you want in life? You're seeking after this stuff. You're seeking out signs in the stars. You're singing out some kind of psychic help on decisions in life. You don't think he'll give you what you need. If it will distract you from Jesus, he'll give it. He can do some of this if he wants to. He can mimic 
all sorts of spiritual experience for us because he does not care as long as it's not Jesus. And all I'm saying in all of this is just to say, Christ is our fullness. He says, Christ is the fullness of God and we have been given fullness in him. So I think when, when Paul is talking about the Christian life, here is what he really means. It's not that we take some of Jesus every day and we pour a little bit in. It's this right here. This is who we are. Here's the question. Is the water in the glass or is the glass in the water? Answer is? The answer is yes. Right? That's the answer. Paul says it again and again. You are in Christ. He is in you. We don't come out of this. We don't take ourselves out and try to live on our own. We don't pretend that we're divorced from Jesus for one second of our lives. He is our life. And here's the thing. Look, sometimes we have bad days. You know what? Is that glass still full? It's still full. Had a bad day. Things are hard. Things don't always go the way that we want them to go. But the truth is, you will never stop being in Christ. He will never stop being in you. He is our fullness. Church, a great way to ensure that your life is full of anxiety and fear and doubt and hopelessness is to run after things in this culture and in this world that cannot really fill you. And a great way to have peace is to understand that this is who you are in Christ. He is the fullness of God, and we are filled in him always and forever. You're good. You don't have to run after those things. Christ is our all in all. So the second thing is this. Why? Why do we continue in Christ? Because only Jesus can cancel your sin debt. Only he can cancel your sin debt. Here's what he says, verses 11 through 15. He says, in him you are also circumcised in the putting off of your sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Here's Paul's point. Listen, you might run after all those other things that I just named. You might seek those things out with your life. You might put a lot of weight and a lot of stock in all sorts of other experiences. Even if you attain what you're looking for, you will still be dead in sin because they can't save you. What's gonna happen if you read some zodiacs and that day it lines up with what actually happens in your life. Oh, cool, I read it this morning and then my life actually kind of panned out that way. Guess what? Sin is still real and you're still guilty of it, right? He's just saying, look, why, even if that stuff does what you think it's gonna do, it can't save you. Jesus saves you. Jesus died on that cross to disarm the things that you're running after to make a public, he says, make a public spectacle out of those things. Isn't that crazy? I just love that, that line anyway. The cross itself, the cross is a public spectacle, supposed to embarrass and humiliate the one dying. And he says it was Jesus humiliating all power and authority on that cross. How gangster is Jesus? 
Like, I love it. And, and, and I just, man, I worry that so many people, man, one day we're going to stand before him at judgment, and we're going to realize that we have been made fools of because we have run after so many things that Jesus made a fool of. But we ran after those things still, and Satan made a fool of us, seeking after all the nonsense. Don't do it. Only Jesus can cancel your sin debt. Next point, because Christ is the substance and the source of our faith. Verses 16 through 19. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen. He's actually naming the person in Colossae right here. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. So he's just saying this, this person, whoever this is in Colossae, he's teaching you these things. But honestly, guys, even if it's like the Jewish religious stuff, which I think is mainly what he's talking about here with like new moons and religious festivals and Sabbath days and all that, he's just talking Old Testament Jewish religion. He uses the word basic principles the word basic principles in the Greek language, uh, this is the word stoikeion, and in Greek, that was like the word that they would use for the first things you learn in kindergarten, okay? Stoikeion, it was like learning your letters, learning the alphabet, learning A, B, and C, okay? So Paul is using this illustration to basically say this, Christians who kind of cling on to the Old Testament religious systems like law keeping, rule following, Sabbath days and religious festivals and you kind of define your whole religion, your whole life by those things. Christians who do that would be like school children who learn their letters but never learn to read. You'd be running around going, yeah, 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 bah, 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 like it makes no sense. You're just saying letters. You sound like a savage and a moron, right? It doesn't make any sense. And Paul's saying, why would you live that way? The point of learning your alphabet is what? To read, to know how to put words together and speak them out, right? So he's saying, why would you look into Old Testament religion and make that the goal of your faith when the goal is Christ? He's the substance. He's the source. He's the one that we cling to. Paul uses the same word in Galatians 4, uh, 3 through 5, and I do want to read that. If you have your Bible, just flip over to Galatians, and we're going to hang out there. Uh, we're going to go back there a couple times. So Galatians 4, 3 through 5, he says this. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. The same word, basic principles, ABCs. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights as sons. We might receive the full rights as sons. You're living like you're still a slave under the basic principles of the law. If, if Old Testament law-keeping religion is what you love, you're a slave. Christ is the substance and source of our faith. Next point, because we have died with Christ. Why do I continue in Christ? Because I've died with Christ. Back to Colossians. And so he says, verse 20, he says, since you died with Christ to the basic principle of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? 
Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence because we have died with Christ. He's just simply saying, listen, when you were baptized into Christ, I love this, when you're baptized into Christ, that old life that you lived, the old principles of the world, the old things that you ran after, and Old Testament religion of law-keeping and rituals and sacrifices. Guys, we didn't bring a bull to church today, right? You didn't bring one. Praise God, because Jesus has died. The bull doesn't have to anymore. I have a cow. She's happy, right? Like, we don't have to bring our sacrifices. He's like, man, as long as you're living that way, you are negating what you have what you have in Christ, this fullness, this life, that you're in him, right? We have died with Christ. He's just saying, man, you, when, when you were baptized into Christ, that's the picture of it, right? You're dying. You're dying to that old life, and you live a new life in Jesus. Do y'all know the Christian life is a death? It's a death to that old self. And then that might sound harsh, and that might sound weird, but listen, you know what? It's a death to having to carry the weight of that stuff. And it's freedom in Jesus. The death we die in Christ, it is freedom. It's freedom from that life. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, so back to Galatians, he says, one of the best verses in this book, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's death, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I don't care what you're running after. I don't care what you're seeking with your life. I don't care what you're trying to build your life on. None of those things have died for you. That distinction belongs to Jesus. And even if they did, they can't save you. That distinction belongs to Jesus. And so the final point is this. Why do we continue in Christ? Because only Christ can truly change us. So the last verse again, he says this, verse 23. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship. That's just like, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of making up ideas about religion and worshiping according to like your own human philosophies instead of Christ, right? Self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, that was one of the tenets of this teacher, whoever this was in Colossae, was like, you gotta kind of abuse yourself in order to be loved by God, and it was, it was crazy. And he, says, he calls that false humility, harsh treatment of the body. But here's what he says, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Here's what he's saying. You will never change from that old self, from the old practices, from the old ways of thinking, from the old philosophies or the old ways of living that you always lived in. You will never change from that stuff by being told to change, just by being told to change. Now, make no mistake, Christ tells us to change. There's a lot of laws, and the, there's 200 plus laws in the New Testament not just the Old Testament. We are told things. We are commanded things. But you will never change just by being told to change. The gospel is not Jesus just came to tell you to change. The gospel is Jesus came to die to change you. 
That's the gospel. Not just to tell you to change, but to actually change you from the inside. This is not behavior modification. That's what this guy was preaching, the guy in Colossae. He was just teaching you to do different things and you'll be better. And Paul's going, no, you're never gonna get better just by doing different things. You only are saved. You only are given fullness. You're only made whole because Christ is in you and he changes you. And then you continue in him just following him and trusting in him and and seeking, yes, to be like him. Not so that he'll love you, but because he loves you, he has changed you. Now live in him and trust in him and follow in him. So I want to read one more verse from Galatians. Just one more verse. There are two verses. (laughs) Verses six and seven. He says, because you are sons God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So, listen, you are no longer a slave but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. You're no longer slaves. You are sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So here's how I want to end this up today. If you are in Christ, you have died and you have been risen to new life in Jesus. So here's a question. Is there anything right now in your life that you have allowed to sit on the throne of your life more than Christ, that you are putting your hope in, that you are putting your trust in, that you are receiving joy from and happiness from because you feel like Christ is not enough for you? Do you feel somehow empty You feel somehow maybe half full in Jesus and you need something else to add to that. Are you trying to take yourself out of this and live according to the basic principles of the world? And if you don't know the answer to that, I don't know, maybe some some things you can kind of look at in your life right now. How are you spending your money? It matters. Because if this is true of you, this is how you spend your money. I want to honor God with my money because I'm in him. What are you posting on social media? I just think that's a good thing to look at. Not because it's about law keeping, but because simply, if this is true of me, then what I'm putting out for the world to see, it will reflect that. So that's a good question, I think, because if it's not, then maybe I'm not living like this. Maybe I'm trying to find fullness somewhere else. What are the things that you're constantly seeking online? What are the things you're typing in? What are the things you're trying to fill yourself up with? What do you do in your free time? What do you do in your secret time? What do you do when you think nobody knows and nobody's ever going to find out? I think those questions help us to see, am I living a life of fullness or am I living a life trying to get fullness in Christ? So let's just bow our heads together and I'm going to give you guys a minute here just to pray, man, just to seek the Lord and maybe even ask him some of those questions. God, am I seeking out anything that's not of Christ? Am I trying to fill my life up with something more than Jesus in whom I have fullness? So really, I'm just going to be quiet. I want to give you guys a minute here. If you need to come forward and pray, I will pray with you, or you can just come up here and pray on your own if you need to do that. Seek him and, and lay something at his feet. So you guys pray. Go ahead. Thank you.
Lord God, I, I, I confess, and I believe we could all confess this morning that there's so many things in this world that just vie for our attention and our affections, our pleasures and our hopes and our joys, even our faith at times, that we want to trust in things that are not you, things that are not your son. God, help us just to come back to the center today. Help us to see that this imperfect illustration here, that we are in Christ and Christ is in us and we are full we're complete. We need nothing else. No other person or relationship can fill us the way Christ can. No other philosophy or ideology can fill us the way Christ can. No talent or skill can fill us the way Christ can. No amount of money, no amount of pleasure, no amount of worldly goods or things or ideas could fill us. Help us to see that and trust that and believe that. And to take off anything that we are allowing to get in the way of that truth. Allowing to fill that glass up and to put on Christ every day. God, we love you. Thank you so much that you have given us all that we need. All fullness in Christ Jesus. And we pray this in his full and complete and glorious name. Amen. Amen.